European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 31, Focus Issue on Perioperative Care by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Perioperative Care of Cardiac Patients, Preventing Myocardial Injury, Bleeding and Death. Cardiac patients commonly have a number of comorbidities. Some of them may require non-cardiac surgery. The perioperative risk of such patients is markedly increased not only due to the cardiac condition itself and comorbidities associated with it, but, particularly in the emergency situation, also due to the medication they take. Obviously, Antiplatelet and antithrombotic drugs increase the risk of bleeding, which is challenging to manage. Furthermore, neurohumeral blockers may interfere with the ability of the circulation to cope with changes in blood volume and pressure. Finally, cardiac patients undergo bypass and valvular surgery, which poses a risk to the ischemic myocardium. The latter issue is addressed in an ESC report of this focus issue on perioperative care entitled ESC Joint Working Groups on Cardiovascular Surgery and the Cellular Biology of the Heart Position Paper, Perioperative Myocardial Injury and Infarction in Patients Undergoing CABG Surgery. Bypass surgery is still a very common procedure, as coronary artery disease is one of the leading causes of death and disability, and not all patients are suitable for percutaneous interventions, particularly those with multivessel coronary artery disease and diabetes. Due to our ageing population, an increased prevalence of comorbidities such as diabetes, hypertension, obesity, renal failure as well as a growing need for concomitant valve and aortic surgery, higher-risk patients are undergoing the procedure. As a consequence, the risk of perioperative myocardial injury and type 5 myocardial infarction increases, both of which are associated with poor post-operative outcomes. As such, Novel therapies to protect the heart from perioperative myocardial injury and type 5 myocardial infarction are an unmet need. There is currently no clear definition for clinically relevant perioperative myocardial injury. Furthermore, there is no guidance on how to manage such patients. Therefore, the ESC Joint Working Group's position paper tries to provide a set of recommendations to 1 define clinically relevant perioperative myocardial injury and type 5 myocardial infarction, and 2. Provide guidance on the management of perioperative myocardial injury and type 5 myocardial infarction following coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Following non-cardiac surgery, acute myocardial infarction is a significant complication. Whether or not this has declined in frequency with modern guideline-based management is uncertain, although statin use has been shown to be protective. This issue has been carefully investigated by Nathaniel Smilovitz and colleagues from the New York University School of Medicine in the USA in their article Perioperative Acute Myocardial Infarction Associated with Non-Cardiac Surgery. To that end, Patients who underwent non-cardiac surgery from 2005 to 2013 
were identified using the United States National Inpatient Sample. Among 9,566,277 hospitalizations for major non-cardiac surgery, perioperative acute myocardial infarction occurred in 84,093, or 0.88%. Over time, the rate of perioperative acute myocardial infarction per 100,000 surgeries significantly declined by 170 from 898 in 2005 to 729 in 2013. Perioperative acute myocardial infarction occurred most frequently in patients undergoing vascular 2.0%, transplant 1.6%, and thoracic 1.5% surgery. With 18%, in-hospital mortality was higher in patients with perioperative acute myocardial infarction than those without it, 1.5%, with an odds ratio of 5.76. Mortality associated with perioperative acute myocardial infarction also declined over time with an odds ratio of 0.86. Of note, in a propensity-matched cohort of 34,650 patients with perioperative acute myocardial infarction, invasive management was associated with lower mortality than conservative management, with an odds ratio of 0.44. Thus, perioperative acute myocardial infarction occurs in 1 out of 100 patients undergoing major non-cardiac surgery and is strongly associated with in-hospital mortality. Invasive management of such patients may mitigate some of this excess risk. The clinical implications of these findings in a large U.S. cohort are discussed in a timely editorial by Stan Dalby Christensen from Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark. Ischemia during non-cardiac surgery of cardiac patients is a feared complication and beta blockers have been proposed as protective drugs in the perioperative period. Beta blockers reduce myocardial oxygen consumption and as such increase the tolerance of the myocardium to ischemia. While small initial trials revealed promising results, later large trials could not confirm the hypothesis. As the type of beta blocker and the drug regimen differed in the different trials, it was suspected that pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetic properties of different compounds might matter. This question was addressed in a second clinical research manuscript entitled Beta Blocker Subtype and Risks of Perioperative Adverse Events Following Non-Cardiac Surgery, a Nationwide Cohort Study, by Mads Emil Jürgensen and colleagues from the Gentofte University Hospital in Hellerup, Denmark. The authors analysed a Danish nationwide cohort of 61,660 patients treated chronically with either atenolol, bisoprolol, carvedilol, metaprolol, propranolol, or another beta blocker prior to non-cardiac surgery. Patients were most frequently treated with metroprolol, 67%, followed by atenolol, 10%, and carvedilol, 9%. The crude incidences of all-cause mortality and major adverse cardiovascular events were 4.1% and 3.5% in patients with metroprolol, 3.0% and 2.3% with atenolol, and 4.8% and 4.6% with carvedilol. 
In adjusted models, risks did not significantly differ among the different beta blockers. However, risks of all-cause mortality were significantly lower in patients with prior myocardial infarction treated with carvedilol with an odds ratio of 0.62, but not different in those with uncomplicated hypertension, not according to age, surgical priority, duration of anesthesia, or surgery risk. Thus, risks of all-cause mortality and major adverse cardiovascular events do not differ by beta-blocker subtype, findings that may guide clinical practice and future trials, as outlined in a thoughtful editorial by Carl Swedberg from the Salgrenska University Hospital in Gothenburg, Sweden. Another issue of perioperative risk is bleeding. Indeed, patients receiving direct oral anticoagulants, or DOACs, frequently undergo elective invasive procedures. In a third clinical research manuscript entitled Predictors of Pre-Procedural Concentrations of Direct Oral Anticoagulants, a Prospective Multicenter Study, Anne Godier and colleagues from the Fondation Ophthalmologique Adolphe de Rothschild in Paris, France, investigated the optimal duration of direct oral anticoagulant discontinuation that ensures a minimal anticoagulant effect in 422 patients treated with a DOAC undergoing an invasive procedure. Pre-procedural DOAC levels and routine hemostasis assays were performed to determine 1. The proportion of patients who achieved minimal pre-procedural levels less than or equal to 30 nanograms per milliliter according to the duration of DOAC discontinuation. 2. The predictors of minimal DOAC concentration. And 3. The ability of routine assays to predict minimal DOAC levels. The duration of direct oral anticoagulant discontinuation ranged from 1 to 218 hours, and pre-procedural DOAC levels from less than or equal to 30 to 527 nanograms per milliliter. After a 49 to 72 hour discontinuation, 95% of the DOAC levels were less than or equal to 30 nanograms per milliliter. A 72-hour discontinuation predicted concentrations of less than or equal to 30 nanograms per milliliter with 91% specificity. In multivariable analysis, duration and direct oral anticoagulant discontinuation, creatinine clearance of less than 50 milliliters per minute, and antiarrhythmics were independent predictors of minimal pre-procedural DOAC levels. Conversely, routine hemostasis assays were poor predictors. Lastly, creatinine clearance of less than 50 milliliters per minute, antiplatelets, and high bleeding risk procedures were predictors of bleeding events. Thus, a final direct oral anticoagulant intake three days before a procedure resulted in minimal pre-procedural anticoagulant effects for almost all patients. Moderate renal impairment, especially in dabigatran-treated patients and antiarrhythmics in anti-XA-treated patients, would require a longer DOAC interruption. These clinically important findings are further discussed in an editorial by Johann Auer from the General Hospital Braunau in Austria. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.